0: Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Jinx. We're hosting a new podcast called No Skips. In it, we discuss the most iconic and unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats. Spring is here and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana, that's a no. But a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, nope a box of fine wines. Yeah. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the ringer podcast network. We did part one. That went up a couple of hours ago with me and Rosillo. Wanted to wait for part two in case anything crazy happened with the Logan Paul Mayweather fight, which we just watched. We're going to be talking about that as well as a lot of extra basketball stuff. We wanted to cover Bucks Nets, wanted to cover uh, the Dame Lillard situation, what we would do if we were the Portland GM, what we would tell Dame Lillard. And uh, we even have a little parent corner here at the end. So uh, and And some some really rock-solid Blake Griffin. I, I got to be honest, I like part two a little bit more than part one. So there you go. It's all coming up first. Our friends from Pro <laughs> All right, taping this part of the podcast, the beginning of part two, it is 8.45 Pacific time. Russo and I, I forced you to do this. I feel bad. I forced you to watch <laughs> Logan Paul, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather, the eight-round exhibition. I'm, I'll am i just tell you this. I have never seen my son is in his entire life more riveted by uh, hand-to-hand or MMA or any sort of combat match. He was so into it, he couldn't believe Logan Paul lasted eight rounds um, it was really, it played out like the reverse of, of, uh, Drago Creed, which was supposed to be an exhibition. It was supposed to be an exhibition. This one, Logan Paul actually made it. And I really genuinely felt like Floyd Mayweather tried to knock him out in the fourth round. He was throwing bombs. He just couldn't get him.
1: Yeah. And Ben, your son's a combat guy. So, he is. you know, he, this isn't like, he's just turning on. So Taylor Tate, Floyd 44, Logan, AKA Jake they called him Jake about five times during the fight.
0: (laughs) I loved it. 26,
1: 155 pounds, 190. He probably was bigger after the weigh-in. He looked huge next to Floyd. Huge. 5'8", 6'2", 72-inch reach, 76-inch reach. And, you know, it's one of those deals. Like when you're our age, we don't have favorite YouTubers. Okay. So I think we're all like, I always joke that For those of us that are in the opinion business, for the most part, I I get that a lot of people don't like us because nobody ever says, you know, I like is that guy has an opinion on literally everything, but that's what we do. And a a tier below that is YouTubers. Cause I think there's even more resentment because they're so young and they make all this money that people don't really like them. So going into it, I was like, who am I actually like rooting for? What am I rooting for? And I guess I probably wanted Floyd to win. And I feel guilty about it now that I wanted Floyd to win because (laughs) Look, even though Floyd's older and everything, the fact that all these people out there always talk shit and want to do this this guy walked out of the tunnel, trained his ass off and, you know, whatever. Like, I'm with you. I thought Floyd popped him a bunch of times. and It was clear that Logan could take a punch. So, you know, whatever this was, exhibition, a waste. I'll spend 50 bucks worse. I promise you that. Um, I was moderately impressed. So for people like, oh, this is the worst is the worst is the worst. I mean, we already knew it was the worst when you hit buy. Right. I mean, can't can't there be any moment where you would allow yourself to be like, I'm impressed with a guy that has zero boxing background except for training recently and actually took a bunch of shots again from a smaller guy, but went eight rounds, like he should feel good about himself.
0: My friends Deezus and Mara were in there with Mara Ronaldo. They needed like a fourth guy in there just to explain for 30 seconds how impressive it was. In the fourth round, because it felt like Floyd bet on himself to win by knockout in fourth round, because the fourth round, the way he fought just for those three minutes were completely different than the rest of the fight. And he went in and he threw, he threw one bomb that Logan kind of leaned back on and it missed him. And I think Floyd was like, oh shit, like I, I, I thought this would be the round when that punch landed. But I think just when you're fighting somebody who's six inches taller than you and weighs 45 pounds more than you. And you're Floyd and you're in your mid-40s. Like, could he have knocked him out when he was 25? Probably. I would guess he would have. But there's really not a lot you can do because you don't want to leave yourself so open that Logan just lands this crazy uppercut or something. And all of a sudden you get knocked out by Logan Paul. So he has to kind of, you know, do that balance of how far do I want to go to try to get a knockout? But he did try to get the knockout. I was impressed. I also was impressed from a stamina standpoint because it's really hard to fight for eight rounds, even if you're not throwing a shitload of punches, it's still from an exercise standpoint, it's pretty rough. I thought he was gonna be dead the last two rounds. He was not.
1: No, and I actually thought he got a little energy there again at the end. these are some I know they're there for the jokes, but I mean it's clear that they're not gonna be into Logan Paul. So they're making fun of him the whole time, but they were <laughs> right. they were missing the point. Like I don't know, I don't know what their boxing familiarity is but when they started making fun of him saying like oh this guy's hugging more than you know whatever whatever yeah that was actually I, that was smart that, that was logan was that yeah that's exactly what you do when you outweigh the opponent when you're the bigger man is that you sit there and lean on him and it was funny too because logan logan did it once i think in the first round where he was leaning on him and then he was kind of like all right they're breaking and he was letting himself be broken up before they were broken up and floyd popped him really good And you could see Logan be like, oh, okay. And that's like Floyd does that in real fights. Like if you're not ready to protect yourself, he's Mm. not going to wait for you. That's something you have to understand. So I thought even Logan realized, okay, well, I got to make sure that I stay engaged even when we're wrapped up. But he leaned on him. He held him. I mean, I know this isn't a real fight, but if Logan's out there trying to win the thing, as much of a joke as it is, and that was tactically the exact thing you would do. And there were other times too, where Floyd was holding his arm in. Mm. And I don't even know that the official was catching. He was kind of on Logan again the whole time. So... I don't know. Like, like I know those guys are there for jokes. It was so obvious. Like, they didn't want to give Logan any credit whatsoever until the very end when they were like, oh, yeah, good for him. He went eight rounds. And you're like, well, yeah. Like, where
0: were you guys? (laughs) On the other hand, I like that they were just like, we're not giving this guy respect. He's Logan No, they didn't like him. It was not surprising. we're not respecting this guy. I will say though, it did make me wonder, do we need to reconceive what boxing is? Because there's really no matchup that would get my son's interest like this. And and I asked him why he liked this so much. And he was like, cause I'm really interested in both people. I, I've enjoyed Logan Paul's videos for years and I love Floyd Mayweather. I like, I like seeing the photos of him and I just, I just like both of them and I wanted to see them fight. And you think like, the whole concept of weight divisions. And I've always said this. I always thought, like, to to see an awesome, like, 140-pounder against, like, a half-decent 210-pounder. There are all these, like, weird matchups you can have that'll be more compelling than just two random middleweights just, you know, that are fighting for the boxing diehards. So I don't know. I, like, we didn't have judges for this. I'm not sure why, because on the one hand, boxing's super corrupt. They'll let anyone fight. You see people like these ex-champions who are clearly punch drunk and they're still fighting in Vegas or Atlantic City or whatever. It's like they kind of pick and choose what they what they can get precious about. And I don't know. I wouldn't have mind judges. I would I would have loved to have known how they scored that. I had it 5-3 Mayweather, but maybe somebody would have had it 5-3. I don't know. What would have been the bad thing about having judges for that?
1: Maybe, I don't know, like Floyd said at the beginning, he goes, I can't really win. And he made a good point because he's like, if I knock him out too early, then everybody's going to be like, this is a joke. He's like, but then if I go the distance, then it's gonna be like, all you did was carry him. Mm. Um, But there was also a part of this where Floyd could only win because it goes the distance. And if you're, I mean, it just comes down to like what you wanted ahead of time. And if you're a Floyd fan, you're like, okay, whatever. It just went eight rounds because he didn't care. If you're a Floyd
0: fan, you don't want him to get knocked out. That's that you're just like you just want to get through this without any sort of legacy. We're also
1: talking about a guy who I think in his prime was the toughest person I've ever seen, like as far as trying to hit him. Yeah. So in a weird way, it sucks that you would be fighting Floyd. And when he was right, it was unbelievable. Like, I know people think the fights are boring and I get it. But he was impossible to hit. He could stand right in front of you and turn that shoulder and deflect every punch. And he didn't even have to move that much. But then on the other side, because he never really could knock guys out that, that might be the perfect guy for somebody like a Logan Paul to fight. Cause it's not like you're going in there against just an older Tyson who just has to get you once and it's over.
0: Well, he's probably left boxing with more brain cells and more money than everyone ever. Definitely the combination of the two, but he, for a champion guy who's been in a bunch of fights, I just feel like he maybe got really hit probably four times, three times. Nobody like really tagged him because he was Floyd Mayweather. He was, even if you hit he him, got he hit totally hit him. once.
1: I forget, I forget where it was. He got cracked once at the end of a round and he got shook up a little bit. Um, but again, a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I remember I was, I was watching it once. I mean, the, the stats on this, Floyd <laughs> landed 40% of his punches as opposed to 13% for Logan Paul. Would you so, see the
0: jabs? Floyd only threw 14 jabs at eight rounds?
1: Yeah, 14 jabs. The, the thing that he was doing once I thought he was like, okay, let me see if I can get him a couple of times. And he could, but he would put his hands out in front of him and he would take the jab that never was going to get through. And yeah. then he would swing and hit him with a left. But you know, look, Logan took a couple of really good shots to the face. His conditioning was really good. He's young enough. And I think those guys have that kind of psycho gene in them. Like those high school kids that you grow up with that are just a little weird and they eat you know, live animals. And I I think those guys, I think that's part of the alert. Like now, you know, they'll eat a frog and be like, whatever. Like, I think that's what these two kids are about a little bit where there is, I don't know if they were tough in high school and and beating up guys or anything like that, but I I do think that they're wired in a certain way, um, that very few people ever would be. And that's part of that, you know, deep down when you're hurting and you think you're tired and you're out there for Floyd Mayweather. I mean, I don't know. I I don't think many guys could do what, what Logan Paul did that don't box
0: there is something to be said of the possibility of like a celebrity boxing champ who just fights all the other non-boxers and it could be an ex athlete. It could be an actor. It could be an influencer, whatever. But, you know, basically Logan Paul saying out of all the non-boxers, I can beat anyone else in a fight, you know, where it's like the, remember those tough guy contests they had when, uh, in the eighties, they even made a, a movie with Dennis Quaid about it. Did you ever see that movie tough enough? It's good. Sounds movie. really good. Sounds yeah, really good. It was like uh, one of those tough man contests. It sounds Dennis, like a Bill Dennis Simmons Queen's movie. Oh, it's that, really right? good. Oh, you, I guarantee you'd like it. It's really you sure? good. Yeah, I'm positive. But could, could you do that? Could there be like celebrity? Yes. Movie, basically celebrity yes. division because I guarantee this fight today made a shitload of money. I okay. Guarantee but, it.
1: but this is the future. Like when you said earlier, you know what, it, I actually think that somebody should do this. Like FanDuel should start a promotional arm of the company where they just go screw it because if people want to watch it then it should be on I'm serious right. like that's kind of how I feel about stuff I want to see Alabama play the Jets I want to see Kentucky <laughs> play this the, the hinky Sixers yeah. I want to see um UConn women play a college bat you know what I mean like I, I would just want to see it from an entertainment standpoint so I want to see different I'd, I'd, I'd pay to watch Conor McGregor fight somebody else so why wouldn't somebody just say hey look this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is the future. And you can be a boxer who's mad about, oh, well, this is bullshit. This guy's cutting the line. I mean, that's welcome to life. Like there are people that got gigs at ESPN that I'd be like, oh, man, this guy's ahead of me. But whatever they had done before in their life put them in a position to be more of a draw and I would have to accept it. So as a boxing fan like you are, like I'm just past thinking, oh, it's disrespecting the box. It's all these different things. Boxing's done enough stuff to disrespect itself. So I think this is what people want, and I'd expect more and more of this stuff and putting on these events because clearly people are watching. I mean, I, you know how many friends I had that were fired up about Roy
0: Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson? And
1: I couldn't mm, believe it,
0: was it. Well, the other good thing is when you have, you have the fight like this that pulls in people to the card in the pay-per-view, but I think the key is to put a couple of the real fights before that, which we had tonight. The Arias fight was good. <laughs> that was... Yeah, it's that a good point. Uh, that was a really, really entertaining fight. And, uh, I think there's some sort of needle you can thread with this, where you can promote some of the up and coming best people you have in the sport, or you could put, you know, two of the top welterweights together, two of the top light heavyweights together, whatever in the undercard. And then your main event is something else. So back to your Yukon woman's point. So Yukon woman are playing Williams College, the men's team from Williams College tomorrow night. Are you watching? Absolutely. I think I'm absolutely also watching. But see, the problem is, is
1: that whenever I brought this up before, the people were like, well, they have nothing to prove. We're like, why would they do it? It has nothing to do with like, I just, no, just want to see what would happen. No, we're just talking about abnormal matchups. Yeah. yeah, I would just, I want I want abnormal matchups all the time. Look, the Billie Jean King Riggs deal was Great a stuff. monumental sporting yeah. event. Awesome. and. I would like, and I'm not even talking about the gender part. Like, I want to see Alabama play an NFL team. Like, I just think, and I, I know what's going to happen, right? The only time I've ever allowed myself the idea that it would be a competitive game between a pro team and a college team, because 99.9% of the time, it's the dumbest question you could ever ask, is one of the Hinky squads I legit think would have lost to Kentucky. Kentucky had seven pros and five <laughs> right. lottery picks. So when you look at it from a talent standpoint, that Kentucky team was actually more talented than the hinky crew that they're putting out there. Every other time, it's not worth listening to. But even if it's not worth asking the question because we know what's going to happen, it doesn't mean, look, you know how many Pistons games I watched this year? You don't think I wouldn't watch uh, an NBA? So I, look, I don't, it's never going to happen because it's CBA and and you know collegiate rules and all that stuff. But I do think you're onto something that when it comes to combat, this is just the beginning because it's profitable. People want it. And once people get over the idea that, like, you're not supposed to do this, well, who cares? Like, sign me up. I think somebody should start a company that's solely focused just on this. But another promotional company is already, you know, going to figure it all out and have Yeah, I'm sure to do it with,
0: with the amount of money pouring in the gambling space, I'm sure we'll see more and more of this stuff. You know what I was speaking of abnormal stuff? I always thought there should be a golf tournament. That's like the fifth major. And it's men and women. And the women hit from where their tees are and the men hit from where their tees are. And you have like, you play the twosomes, but it's a man and a woman and they play and it's like the best of the best. They're playing the same course. I just would want to see it once just to see how it unfolded. Cause like the U S open was on this week and it's good. Like it's exciting. The golf's really, really, you know, it's the best you're going to get, um, on the woman's side. And it would be fun to see that merge and just to see the dynamics of it. And All that stuff. I would watch that.
1: I think it'd be good because it would bring in an audience maybe that isn't familiar with one side. And then, yeah, I mean, that's really all it is. If we've learned anything from the F1 documentary on Netflix is that once you start to learn the characters and the storylines, then you become invested. I would never think I was going to get up at 5 a.m. to watch an F1 race. And I've done it three times this year. You did it today, didn't you? I did. And today was awesome. And the only reason I care about it, I've watched it before and gone. Why do I care about this? And I think hockey needs to do it. Maybe baseball needs to do it. I think the reason why a thing like Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather works is that we know the characters. We know the backstories. There's a soap opera element to it, which I think deep down is what really people want. And, you know, you mentioned the golf thing. I had something else for golf. They should have something at the beginning of the year. like
0: Like a couple skins match,
1: but go ahead. It's a draft of every golfer and maybe whoever won a tournament or something is a captain and they draft their foursomes. And then those foursomes are part of a bigger standings based on how they do over the course of the season. So it's Mm. another version of the standings that you can keep track of. And then whoever the top foursomes are, then they play maybe some two day event on the schedule towards the end of the season where, you know, hell play. you You know how funny it would be to watch guys play best ball as pros and what the scores would be. But that you're force So basically you'd have the captain being like, I want to pick this guy or that guy. Like the draft itself for hardcore golf people, that would be yeah. so much fun to watch. And then you'd be keeping track of those teams, kind of like you keep track of Mercedes or, you know, I'm a McLaren guy. Everybody knows that though.
0: <laughs> well, we had it with the golf the skins match when Brady More stuff like that. that. One putt. Like I like, I guess my point is every time somebody does something like this, I'm more likely to enjoy it than not enjoy it. Anytime it's super gimmicky, but there's enough substance to it and the telecast is actually well done and seems like an actual sports telecast, I'll probably watch. And this one was like a no-brainer today. It was like, oh, okay. All right. I want to see it. What if Logan Paul hits him with a right? Who knows? So I think the one one sport you really can't do it, I don't think, is MMA because that's like there's just no scenario with MMA where it's like if you're not a trained assassin in that thing, you're you're just destroying anybody else. So you could be like a 55-year-old ex-MMA champ. You're still beating Logan Paul in the octagon. It's just there's no way he's beating you ever. You have a special set of skills. The boxing's a little bit different. Ben, come here for a second. No, you can go shirtless. It's fine. Oh, Riscilla's going shirtless. Oh, no, no Ben... <laughs> Take your shirt off. Yeah, here we go. That that was unbelievable.
1: What's up, man?
0: Look at those traps. My son Ben is here. He's shirtless. Rosilla took his shirt off. He was so excited. Um, Was that the, that was your number one fight? Yeah, that was, I can't believe that. You thought, you thought Logan Paul was going to get knocked out. I thought it was going to be a fourth round knockout, but Logan survived. I'm very proud of him. So do you feel like this would make you watch more boxing events? Yeah. I like when celebrities box, I find it more entertaining. See, there you go. (laughs) Hey, Ben, are you growing out a little Logan Paul right now? What's going on with your hair? (laughs) He he needs a haircut. Uh, Ben just took off. That's what he does. So yeah, celebrities, kids like celebrities. There you go. Um, All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to put on our shirts and then we're going to come back and, uh, and talk some basketball. Five o'clock, five thirty—perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at mclobultra.com/slash courtside lda twenty-one and up. All right, let's talk Bucks Nets. As I mentioned in part one, I had the uh, the Bucks Hawks six to one parlay. Harden goes out forty-three seconds in the game, just walks off the court, and I, I'm watching him. I'm with my son, and we're just kind of looking at each other. And I rewound it. He's trying to figure out where he got hurt. And I'm like, did he, what? it was like one of those, he's just never seen again. And you think like, oh man, this is just what, what an unbelievable gift for the Bucs. Then the Bucs, Lopez is looking good. Giannis, their, their front fives really laying it to Brooklyn. And you look up near the end of the first quarter and Brooklyn's like down too. And Milwaukee's bench hasn't come in. And it's one of those, uh-oh. Um, and Milwaukee just gives it away. Middleton was a complete no-show. Blake Griffin was the hero. I am trying not to, you know, the home team's supposed to win game one. I, Milwaukee is only a two-point underdog in game two. I think there's a real feeling that, you know, there's some lineup stuff they can do, which we can talk about. But I do feel like if you're going to win when you're the underdog, if you're going to win a series, it's so nice to grab game one, like the, like the, uh, the Hawks did. So now, 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 uh, walk well, is look at this. Like we have to win four of the next six basically against this team that even if they don't have Harden, and still has two incredible offensive players and we don't have a bench and we're not going to get random role guys. And it's gotta be these five guys that are have to come through. I'm really worried about my bucks pick and I think they might've blown it. I think it's another one of those, like where the game one might've, might have decided a series in a weird way. I think the Nets are in great shape now, even with Harden and Iffy.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I have some positives that I have for the Bucks here, but I really wanted them to get game one if they're going to win that series. It's so and much
0: more fun. You,
1: know, you brought up the role guys between Blake, um, Mike James, and Joe Harris. They shot 49, uh, they had 49 points, the three of them. <laughs> On on fifty four percent shooting, you could make the case Blake was like the third best guy in the game. He was for either team, and Kyrie carried him in the first. You know what? I'm going to ask you about this. That Durant hard dribble baseline pull up from like fifteen feet out, and he's basically perpendicular to the rim. Is that as impossible as anything? Because nobody's over there. Nobody takes that shot. He takes it. He. I bet you he has. Well, obviously, with his limited games this year he's not gonna have the more total but like I I would imagine he has the highest percentage of shots like 15 foot baseline jumpers than any player in the league and I think it's a really hard thing to defend not only because a it's Durant with the size and good shooting I just don't know that anybody's used to defending that part of the floor and it's
0: filthy he was awesome in game one and did some really good stuff defensively too but I'm with you like I was really worried he wasn't just as a long-time Durant fan and somebody who just enjoys him. I was worried he, we weren't going to see what we saw yeah. in the 2019 playoffs again. I feel like he has all the same shots, he the same level of ease. And you talk about that little baseline pull-up. You know, the Skyhook's the greatest shot of all time. That Durant shot is in, like, the top seven. Might even be in the top five. Do you have your top it, seven? What, no, I, I would have to like really think about it and have it for next week. But <laughs> holy shit, man. Yeah, like the Mikhail Skyhooks in there, the Dream Shake, all those other ones. Like that Durant shot doesn't even have a name. I You never even see anyone come close to blocking it. And it seems like it doesn't ever touch the rim and he can get it whenever he wants. And if there's been a criticism, you know, of him the last few years, it's like sometimes he doesn't look for his shot enough. He's the best scoring forward we've ever had. And it's the other problem really with it,
1: yeah, defensively is that you're usually thinking, okay, well, if somebody's initiating from there. They're driving and then either driving. Every time.
0: And, yeah, you think he's going for a layup.
1: Or he's going to drive and kick to somebody else. Like, no one pulls up from over there. Here's a, a slight positive. Because Milwaukee shot 6-30 from three. Yep. Middleton had one of those Middleton games for the Middleton haters. who were like, we told you. Although, if you really dig through all of Middleton's playoff stuff, he's been kind of below average. If For a guy that you're like, look, if you're an all-star, and he's not a one. No one's ever arguing he's a one. He's a classic, you know, middle tier quarterback. Depending on the Sunday, everybody comes in on Monday. You're going to be right at some point in the season, right? And that's who Middleton is. Middleton's that quarterback who's like, you know, is he somebody's like, how come he's not top 10? And then he sucks and then he has a great game. So anyway, I'm I'm going to the point here. Alex
0: Smith, Chiefs, Alex Smith. I don't like criticizing Alex
1: Smith anymore Lyons because Stafford? after watching.
0: No, Lying I Stafford? think Lion
1: Stafford was better than people think, but then again, there's some people that think he's worse than people think there. Because the
0: Titans Tannehill,
1: I'm not as high on Tannehill. Hmm. I'm Is not. Although, although Greeny had a uh, Greeny doesn't get enough credit for how absurd some of his takes are. The hyperbole <laughs> button. Greeny <laughs> said this week before the Jones trade uh, that Rossini <laughs> reported. Yeah, he goes if the Seahawks end up with Russell Wilson, Metcalf. And Julio Jones, I'm saying that might be the best three in NFL history, and it might not be close. That was a take he had. I was like, "Who's what?" No, like, DK, I think, I'm like DK Metcalf's really like,
0: yeah, he's good. He's not fucking Jerry Rice, dude. Also, he, Julio Jones, 33. Like, I don't even know if he's going to be in an All Pro team again. The triplets, anyone? Pick for him. Yeah, that's pretty tough. I think Greenie, it's so early in the morning, I think you give him some leeway. When somebody's I'm waking up saying, at four like, in the morning, you got to give him he, some leeway. I need the public, I need the audiences out there
1: to respect the absurdity of the Greenie take. Because I don't think he ever gets thrown into the group with other guys. You're like, if you guys kept track of these more, yeah. you'd be like, dude, Greeny's Greenie lets it fly. Like, he'll, he'll just, if you were a fisherman, he just close his eyes and. Let it
0: let's see what happens. In the mornings, you just get a lot more leeway. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe the you're scariest right. thing if I'm a well, there's two scary things if I'm a Bucks fan. And I have a couple of Bucks fans in my life. One is that their bench was atrocious. And Vincenzo whose name I I have my uh, my name speech impediment thing. Um, I'll call him Dante.
1: That's the list we need, is we need your names. You can't get spe- right. It's
0: my name dyslexia. Your top fifty. Um, my verbal dyslexia, guys. Um, it's not that he's awesome, it's just that it him not playing now has Jeff Teague playing 14 minutes in a playoff game for you. Like, did it, you like was, the Jeff Teague down 10, Giannis
1: running in transition with the angle, Lopez about to seal Kyrie at the rim, Teague sat, let everybody run past him, let everybody catch up defensively, thought about it and then bricked a 3 down 10? Did you like that play?
0: I it brought flashbacks to the first part of the Celtics season. Is where it was did.
1: 103-93 or something.
0: Would they ahead. have six points from their bench? Eight? So it was something like that. It was a number that was less than 10. I'm going to look it up now. Defensenzo. Uh, uh, There's some garbage th- time stuff. I thought was incredibly
1: uncomfortable in the playoffs last year. Just yes. Looked, had the uncomfortable shirt on. Wore it well. Very You're cool. right, though. Defensively, he does some really good things that you just would love to have as an option here. But that's not really what it is. Here's, here's where I'm, This is where the positive for Bucs fans. Not that Middleton had the bad game because he's going to have a good one. Not that everybody shot it like hell because they're going to shoot it better at some point. The things I still love about Giannis are there. That guy will go at you. He's never going to back down. And I think that's at least something Giannis needs to get more credit for despite everybody kind of turning. away, Like, there's a Giannis turn now that's happening or if he loses this playoff series, he's going to be like, oh, I thought this guy was the MVP. They're, the beginning of that game, Bill, I'm like, look how big they are. Look yeah. at the offensive rebounds. Look at the second chance points. Look at these short bunnies that they're screwing up. Now, they shot it awful outside the paint. But I think there's a size advantage that played out in the first quarter that's going to play out again that should at least give you a little hope that this series can get turned around if you're a Milwaukee
0: Bucks fan. Well, that was the second frustration thing I was going to say. First was the bench. Second was just how they did the lineups. He basically came out of the gate with his best lineup, right? Yep. And once you withstand that, now we go to the second quarter, the Nets are just whatever team they're going to put together is just going to Probably be more successful than whatever Bucks think. He didn't play Giannis enough minutes, only thirty five. You know it's so crazy. Nash plays Kyrie forty five and Durant forty. Like Nash gets it because you know he played. He the minutes thing the is
1: you're right about the minutes, but I do think a couple get shaved off there because it was a blowout there late. But the first, no, but the overall point is, through you're three right.
0: quarters, um, I think they need to stagger it. I actually wouldn't start Lopez. I think they have to play Giannis or Lopez at all times. Cause they had the non Giannis non Lopez lineup out there kind of anchored by Portis and the nets are just going to destroy that lineup. And then they're not going to have enough scoring. They're never going to have enough scoring. Um, I think they need to time it so that they're closing those last six with Lopez and Giannis together. And Lopez FYI should have a huge series it was eight for 11. And it felt like they were all easy shots. It felt like he could have been 11 for 11, you know? Um, I thought it was interesting. DeAndre didn't play at all. They played five, they played 14 guys. DeAndre, I guess, is just the Durant tax. Is that should that be his yeah. nickname? He <laughs> was like Durant Kyrie, but you have to take our buddy. It's the double date where it's like, ah, we actually have to bring her friend too. So you're gonna have to come. It's gonna be the six of us. Um, but Durant I guess DeAndre's just not gonna play anymore, which leads us to Blake Griffin. So Look, I have some blind spots. I'm not perfect doing this for a living as a writer, as a podcaster. uh, Former writer. Former writer. I have some blind spots with high school or foreign draft prospects in the NBA. People that I can't watch in a normal conventional game setting. I have some issues with that. I also have issues, apparently, deciding somebody is washed up and they're not because I missed on a couple guys here that are factors in these playoffs. Batum, I thought was one of the worst players in the league last year and his career was over. And to the bitter end, I was like, there's no way this guy's going to have an important moment in a playoff series. Played 42 minutes in a game seven tonight. Missed on that one. Uh, Blake
1: Griffin. I thought he was bad. I don't think we were wrong that first week of he watching. Forty-two Batum. minutes in a game right. seven. He he's been incredibly productive for them. And The fact that he's closing really on a good playoff team in a game seven is is a huge score for the amount the ball of money. On offense. Right. He knows
0: yep. who he is. He doesn't take dumb shots like body. He's been really body's
1: big enough too, or switches like yeah. he's at least you know in your way so a little wrong, bit. So
0: yeah. I was wrong on that.
1: I was wrong on Batum too.
0: Blake Griffin looked like his career was over in Detroit. It looked like he was physically broken. That he had no athletic ability left. He has now reinvented himself as like kind of the perfect blue guy for a team that can play small ball. Five of them, he's got toughness. He's he's throws some cheap shots. There's elbows. There's he's hitting guys in the back. He's diving for loose balls. Offensive fouls. To take somebody's ACL. Yeah, he's lurching around and um and here's a guy who for a I thought was washed up, but B has been in a lot of playoff games. You know, and it's like you you have this guy as a quote unquote roll guy glue guy who isn't really afraid of the moment who's been in a lot of big games, who probably thinks he's a little better than he is because he was you know a first team nBA guy six seven years ago, but is still a really really important asset and uh I was just dead wrong. I thought he was gonna suck for them. I thought he was done
1: i'll look I'll admit I have a hard time with some of that too because guys can look done, but then you, know, you have to understand like how much better it is playing with all of these awesome players. Not even when it's the three guys, because it wasn't that. It's, it's two of the three and how much it opens it up for you.
0: But um, Wait, I have an important question playing off that. And you're probably the only person on the earth who can answer this correctly. Because I was thinking about this. I was really trying to figure out, Blake Griffin, what happened here? How do you go from being done in December, January, where it's like actually kind of painful... And I feel bad watching you to now being the guy I saw in that game one. You figure like, if you got nothing to play for, you're making a ton of money. You've had eight surgeries. You're physically broken down. There's a process that you'd probably have to do to get your body ready, right to play, right? Now, you're a guy who's known to lift some weights from time to time. and I, so I feel like a up. steroid
1: accusation is coming. No,
0: no. It's not a steroid accusation. Oh. But there's a process to get you ready, right? Where you have to do certain things for your body. Is it possible that when your season's going south in Detroit, the grind of like, oh fuck, I got to get up at 6.30 and work out with my personal trainer for three hours. Maybe you just kind of start punting on stuff, but now you get to Brooklyn and you're like, holy shit, I have a chance to win the title. And it's almost like the person who got divorced who is out there single again. And now it's like, oh, I'm getting a trainer. I'm cutting out sugar. Uh, no more carbs for me i'm going to fucking look good cuz i have to start dating is that you think is that possible what happened to Blake cuz it, it it doesn't add up who the guy from the start of the season was to the guy now
1: Yeah, but we just found it out like with Batum. I think it's the motivation of your surroundings. So it might have been working out. It might have been him changing something. I mean, look, maybe it's different with Blake. If it were a different player, we would have heard about every single dietary change. And it just, you know, every single sideline reporter would bring it up. And then like a month straight, we're Mm. like, okay, you're on a fucking plant diet. I got it. You know what I mean? I've heard every single person bring it up at this point. I haven't really heard any of that stuff with him. But I think it's a motivating factor of being around those guys as opposed to, you know the Detroit thing got so bad. Every time he'd watch the Pistons on a league pass game, which was every night because I think they played 180 games this year. I swear to God, every time I'd start my routine, four o'clock, who's on? Oh, Detroit's on again. Um, it was it was like everybody was it was like broadcasting a game with a dead guy. Like oh, like right out there. Can, you know has it was a dunk since so,
0: 2019.
1: So I think as much as we can have a hard time figuring out if somebody's done or not, we're probably in too much of a hurry to say somebody's completely done and can offer up nothing, and especially at thirty-two. Like I get the injuries part of it, yeah, but I think that's—I think he's a good reminder that as bad as somebody can look, if they're still young enough and they pass their physical, and if they're motivated and they have a better chance, and they're not really asked to do anything, and they want to accept a completely different role from who they've been, somebody who has. You know he's played in a lot of big games. He hasn't been there for a ton of them. <laughs> some of right. those disappointing Clipper exits, but he still played in a lot of big games. I wouldn't say he was always comfortable, super comfortable being the number one or number two option in some of those. But, but he
0: was he always tried really hard, and I think that's what he's carried over this Nets thing. Yeah, like, I think he always he's always, always been really really, aggressive. really gave yeah, a yeah, shit. A I never yeah. saw him like mailing games or anything. So I was trying to think like there's different ways this could go, right? Like Brandon Roy who was a great player who eventually had to become a role player. His knees were just so fucked up. And then eventually he couldn't play anymore. Blake never had like the, he had niche knee stuff. And I thought his knee stuff was so bad. It changed who he was, but now we're watching him and obviously he's been able to manage it. I was wondering like who else would be, so what what are the reasons this, this is working? And it's what you said. He's only 32. He's not, he's not 38. He's not 39. He's not, he doesn't have 50,000 miles on him. It's not Carl Malone in 2004 coming off a major injury. Um, and it made me think like maybe somebody, maybe Kevin Love is the next guy because Kevin Love hasn't had a career. He's been banged up, but hasn't had a career ending injury. He's young. He's around the same age as Blake. He's skilled. And is that somebody that could you rejuvenate him? much like the Blake Griffin thing has been rejuvenated. I was thinking about it with the Mavs. Like if, if it's like Porzingis for love and they throw in something to get Cleveland to take Porzingis or however that works out and you think like, could we rejuvenate love playing with Luka Doncic? Could we actually like really get something out of this guy? I think Blake's a good test case for never give up on pedigree talent if the age is like quite young enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, the other thing
1: with love is you would go, all right, he's 32. He'll be 33 this fall. He played 21 games in 19, 18, 19, played 56 games last year, played 25 games this year. He still shot the ball well.
0: He could have played more. I think you know, they took their time with him and oh. they're trying to tank all that stuff. Yeah. Let's back with the Celtics. I, I think I'm saying it as a positive. Yeah. I'm saying it
1: as a positive. Look, I already know what you're doing. You're scouting Perzingis and Kevin Love for this Kemba deal that you're hoping is going to happen. Three way? No, I'm just saying, like,
0: three- you, no, I'm, I'm you watch the playoff three way. But you also. <laughs> Love to the Celtics, <laughs> Kemba Who says to no Dallas. Poor Zingus to Cleveland. If you want to move Kemba
1: in 70 plus million, it starts with a first. And then it it may the conversation may have to continue.
0: Well, I think I think Blake has made me reevaluate whether uh whether Love could be the guy. Um a couple of people we have You to like the at.
1: extremes though. You like the extremes. You like to be able to say he's gone. He's done, he's the best, he's done. I,
0: I had no other evidence watching Blake Griffin other than this guy's career is over. We both watched those Detroit games. They couldn't move anymore. So I, I just can't believe what happened. Because the guy yesterday was like the ultimate glue guy. It was like that, that guy could have played on any championship Here's the team deal. we've watched the last 10 years.
1: I'm going to be more motivated as a 32-year-old glue guy living in Brooklyn playing with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie than I would be watching Jeremy Grant take 20 fucking shots a night. and killing And Killian Hayes being like, I got this.
0: Blake had 14 rebounds. I thought he did a, you know, Giannis was still 16 for 24, but he still did a half decent job. At least he stayed in front of him. He was physical. He wasn't like overrun by Giannis or anything. Um, I was impressed. If they need more from Drew Holiday. I think if I if they asked for my advice, not that they would, I would say, uh, even though Holiday had 19 shots, I didn't love the shots. I would have I like when he's going to the basket. I like his floater. I would just kind of tap into him more. And then, uh, you know, get to the line. 19 free throws for them. Get to the line. They have no rim protection. So I know the defensive stuff. out there, right. just get there. The defensive stuff is
1: going to be tough because you know who we're talking about. Although the hardened injury made me th- think it was really bad since it was the same hamstring, and he immediately yeah. just left. The fact that he just left. It wasn't like a sit-down, like, oh, let me feel this out. Hold on. All right, pick me up. Okay, we'll see what happens here. We'll go to the back. Like, he just was gone immediately, so... I don't know what that means. have for game but like, two, too. Yeah, but there was a play. If you're watching the Nets go right to left on TV in the second half, where you know Mike James was with Middleton, and there was kind of this switch. And I think Middleton got back or something, or I think Middleton actually. I'm thinking about the play. Middleton ended up in the switch, and Mike James just went right around him. And you're like, Mike James, you know, Mike James is a nice piece, and he yeah. had a nice career overseas, and. They were talking about him coming back because he was like, "Like I'm out of here," but I've also seen him get benched in Nets games because he's only doing his own thing. Like he can be so single minded offensively. And Middleton, at that point, you're like, you just let Mike James just blow right past you, like you weren't even ready for it. Like what what do you think was going to happen? So I, you know, maybe that's being down. Even though they did actually cut it to ten, there it was 103.93 again later, but. Um, I love the gonna, ball
0: movement. It's it's really, as somebody who loves basketball, it's really yeah. hard for me to root against the Nets, but I've I've managed to figure out a way. I'm still rooting against them. At some point, I'm going to talk myself into, uh, this is inevitable. I love Nash. This would be so cool if Nash won the title, and I'll kind of jump on the bandwagon, but I'm not there yet.
1: No, I think you're going to do a full Trey redemptive arc if they were to beat Philadelphia, and you're going to go, I think Trey knows he belongs. He sees four players and he thinks he's the best of the four. I could oh, do the Bill-Trey segment. Yeah, and then you pick him. Trey's not afraid. And then you're no, in would, season four of Atlanta. I would Atlanta. not be
0: picking Atlanta over Brooklyn. Whoever wins this Brooklyn-Milwaukee series, I would be picking. Thanks, Ryan. I think Atlanta getting to the conference finals would be an incredible achievement for them. Really can would. I
1: Can I add this reminder, though? Yeah. Because I said it in the first round to everybody that listened to me here or listen on my pod, but. The game one freak out is usually always a mistake. Utah lost game one. The Clippers lost the first two games. People were already trying to figure out if Kawhi was going to end up with the Miami Heat. Yeah, Denver lost the first game, and it looked like they had this amazing game plan for them. And Phoenix won game one, and I think if Davis is healthy, Lakers win that series. You could have had the four teams that moved on to the second round all lose their first game. So despite the... The two and a half hours of evidence that we have about Philadelphia, that we have about Milwaukee, you know, there's also a really good chance this game of basketball, we come into game two and we see a completely different storyline play out.
0: Milwaukee is a great, that's why the line is only Milwaukee plus two, because they have moves to make. And Middleton and Holiday aren't going to be that bad again. And they, they can do stuff with their bench. And I think I'm not writing off my Bucks bet. I think they can win game two. I just think it's really hard to beat a team with that kind of offense four out of six. And if I was a Bucks fan, I would just be furious. I thought the lineups were really weird.
1: And that's also the other thing to like the offensive numbers that I was talking about a little bit earlier is this season and this playoff season maybe just about can we, do we have enough offense to keep up and do we have a couple defensive options we like our last two or three minutes? There's,
0: right, there's been football seasons like that, right? Where it's just <laughs> yeah. like, all right, this is one of those seasons where it's just like, who has the best offense and that's going to be our champ. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what it feels like. Out. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. Talk about Portland. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun having my home. It's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at SimplySafe.com/slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, SimplySafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon, bar soap and lotion, or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. On FanDuel right now, the Nets are plus 160 to win the title. The Jazz are plus three ten. The Clips are five to one. Bucks plus six fifty. Suns ten to one. Hawks down to twenty six to one. I bet them at eighty five to one. Feeling good about that. The Bucks are plus one seventy two in the in the Brooklyn series. Denver Phoenix. Do you want to guess who's favored in Denver Phoenix?
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know what the line is, but I imagine the way you're setting it up now, I'm wondering if I'm wrong. But I don't. I'd be surprised if Denver were favored.
0: Phoenix is a two-to-one favorite. Yeah, that sounds about right. So there you go on that one. Uh, let's talk about Utah and the Clippers really quick. That line is not up. And then we could talk about Denver-Phoenix really quick. Gun to your head. Who comes out of Utah Clippers? I'm going to go with Utah. Okay. Totality, offense, home, home court? I just
1: want to pick them. I just want to pick Utah. Okay. I think the Dallas series, although, you know, I got every series right because I don't count the Lakers one as a loss, so I'm 7-0-1, hmm. but the Clippers-Mavs series scared me a little bit because, you know, as great as Luka is, as we talked, like, you get done looking at all the different moving pieces, the team isn't that good, and you needed Hall of Fame Luka performances in in most of to close six and, and a good chunk of seven, and... I don't know. I I guess it's weird. Like Brooklyn still may not know who they are and it might not matter, but I'm going to go with
0: Utah. Sounds like you're going Clippers. I'm taking the Clippers. I saw something those last two games that I think is transferable. I think they figured out what their team was and who to play and just what to do. And that was my big concern with them the whole season was I just, watching them, I just didn't feel like they knew who they were. And now I think they know. So whether that's enough to beat Utah, I do think like Utah is going to be so susceptible to a team like the Clippers, a team that can go a little smaller on them and use Gobert against them a little bit. Um, We'll see. Denver, Phoenix. It's really hard to take Denver with some of the guys they played. Like just the dudes that are involved. Now, Barton might be back. Right? They're they're talking like he could be back like midway through this series. I mean, that's why
1: you you
0: know, people that pick Portland, I didn't
1: think they were crazy. I just like Denver because of how big they would be in spots and you know, it still could have gone Portland's way if Nurkish doesn't foul out all the time. But the backcourt part of it, where I go Rivers and Morris with okay, whatever version of Barton against Booker and Paul.
0: It seems but, yeah, it seems far fetched. But who who's guarding Jokic?
1: Well, so, they their only option, they're going to have eight, Right. Eight will work his ass off, but Jokic is still going to get all his points. The The big thing is, can you hold up enough in single coverage against him that he doesn't kill you with the
0: doubles? So this is what we saw with Fien- with uh, Denver Lakers last year, right? The Lakers had enough size that they could make Jokic just a little uncomfortable enough, you know, and they just were really physical with him. They'd throw Dwight at him. They'd throw Davis at him, uh, McGee. Even LeBron would be on there. Like, they just kept throwing muscle at him and knocking him around. Phoenix can do that with Aiton, but then after that, it falls apart. Then you're talking about Frank the Tank, and you're talking about... Uh, Sarich. Sarich and, and, I guess, Crowder? Tory Craig, maybe? Oof. I This feels to me... I think it goes Seven. And I like the I like the on Fanduel. There's a Phoenix plus three fifty and seven, and I like that one. I think it's Phoenix and seven. And then your Chris Paul dream is still alive.
1: We're over here. We're planning. We're gonna have a Western Conference Finals parade. Even though he has made the (laughs) one, Atlanta
0: Atlanta Phoenix and Trey Young against Chris Paul as as your finals.
1: Um. I kind of want to Harden. I want to Nets Hawks finals in a weird, perverted way. I, well, I shouldn't say perverted. Perverted doesn't really have anything to do with
0: it. They've yeah, had maybe some good games is. this year.
1: But just to watch Harden fans complain about Trey Young calls and Trey fans that complain about Harden calls. Because Van Gundy had a great line with the Trey part. This is the 20% of the Trey shit I can't stand is that size is penalized and lack of size is rewarded in the game. Yeah. So if you're actually little and you fall down and it looks like you got mopped, then you just get the call all the time. Where if you're big and you hold your ground a little bit and don't flail on the way down, then you don't get the call. So I kind of want that next Hawk series to happen to watch both fan bases become incensed for the other team being rewarded for what you've been rewarded for the entire year.
0: I never asked you if you thought Rick Carlisle was going to be the Mavs coach next year. Forgot to ask you that in part one.
1: He's a great coach. So if they want to go in a different direction because of the voice getting stale, that's fine. But he is in that group of coaches that is not a long list, maybe five deep that other, other teams other coaches will respect, constantly yeah. bring up how how great he is. So, uh, I, you know, it's kind of like the Brad Stevens thing. He moves on. I think he's a good coach who had a bad year, but there's a real, you know, Nick Nurse is the guy that always seemed to get the most love, but Carlisle for a 10 plus years has always been somebody that's been brought up. They're like, well, you know, Carlisle, that team sucks, but he'll get him to 41 wins because it's Rick Carlisle. I've heard that so many times in the last decade. So
0: his job in the 05 playoffs against the Celtics was one of the single best coaching jobs I've ever seen. Where he, the Melee team, he had like six guys. <laughs> it just, just somehow didn't the walked.
1: Celtics have like the two best players in the series and then they still, yeah, yeah. I'd have to go was- back and.
0: It was like Jermaine O'Neal with with one arm, yeah, old, right. Old right. Reggie Miller. It was just it was just a complete mess. Crozier, I think, was on that team. Um. Anyway, all right. So let's talk about the Blazers. I've looked at this. I've studied it. I think it goes one of three ways. Either one, they just hire a new coach, and they say it was all Terry Stotts' fault. We're not, whatever we need a new voice, fresh voice, fresh perspective. We really believe in the talent that we have. We're going to run this back. New coach second would be new coach but we're we also have to make a trade uh this cj dame thing having your best players be two guards it just hasn't worked in the west the west is bigger we we have to shake it up and they trade cj for whatever the third would be this just isn't going to work we heading into 2022 if you just look at the talent we have compared to everybody else we have less talent than either LA team. We have less talent than Golden State with, if they get that Minnesota pick. We don't have Jokic. We don't have Luka. We don't have as good of a team as Phoenix. We don't have as much young talent as Memphis or New Orleans. What are we? Dames 31 is going to be making like 50 million in three years. Maybe we should call quits and rebuild and really start this over. I would say those are the three roads. What do you think is the most realistic?
1: Uh, the first one, hire a new coach, have him stamp of approval, run it back, be competitive, see what happens. Um, that's, and I think that's the one that'll happen. Is that the one you think should happen? If I'm running the Trailblazers, I'm not trading Damian Lillard. I know he's 31, but I want players like that. Now, there's always another streak, depending on how you aligned you are with ownership, where you preserve your own job, where you go, hey, let's tear this thing down. So that way I get another three years of money. Um I don't I it's don't think that's move. what's gonna happen. It's an unbelievable move. You talk ownership into a rebuild so that way you get to sit around and lots of work picks. For, lots of future picks you can play. Like to. if you say, hey, let's stay status quo and you fired the coach and then it's no better next year and you're bounced out in the first round, then maybe you lose your job. Um, but I don't I don't think Lillard gets traded. And the only way we get traded, he would have to also set a precedent. As we were talking about the rookie scale stuff in part one, he would be setting a precedent like a four year extension about to kick in where it's massive money. Um, but I don't... The way it's been described to me is that he is a king there, all right? Yeah. And I know it's frustrating, but, you know, some of these rumors, like, what do the Lakers have, first of all? He would want to go there and then be, what, the second option, the third option? Maybe the second option? I don't think so. I mean, everything is kind of run Wait, by...
0: can I stop you? The Lakers are not in this unless Davis is in the trade. Right, they have okay, so else. moving on. They have no, the, they have no the, draft picks. What are the they do? The Knicks have
1: nothing that they'd want. So I, and from what I can gather, unless okay, Dame. wait, hold
0: on on the Knicks. Cause it, I, I don't think they would do this, but they could do Barrett and a hundred picks for Dame and just be like, have all of our picks for the rest of the decade here. Yeah. Here are all of them. They could basically do what, you know, what new Orleans did for With Davis the- without the, and RJ Barrett becomes the Brandon Ingram of the deal.
1: Yeah, but I don't think they want to do that. And I don't think Dane I don't think they want to do it do either. That yeah, I, don't I think, think Dane wants to win, so then it's like he wants to win, but I also think he still wants to be the guy. and He's the guy in Portland. And the way it's been described to me is that, you know, this is an organization that takes him very seriously with his stature with this team. And that you know, I was I was hearing stuff that I thought was really interesting about how, you know, different things come up trade-wise and they run it by Dane. You know, I'm like this is his franchise, and I think yeah. that's important to him. And you know, I obviously things can change and we're always surprised by stuff. So I'm not saying like, oh, he's definitely, definitely staying in Portland. But I don't think I don't know. I, maybe the coaching thing goes wrong and he ends up making some demands. But I, I'm just telling you from my, hey, we're not good. Let's reboot it thing. We do that too often with too many franchises. And when you have somebody, especially Lillard, I actually think as a front office, as frustrating as all of these these bounces from the playoffs have been. I don't think you should be in a hurry to try, try to trade these guys. You know, I don't think there's if, if you don't have better options, I don't think it's you should be completely discouraged. You know, like, all right, maybe we'll win 50 next year, make the playoffs again and see what happens. See who's healthy and see who isn't. I know that's boring, but I think it's the more likely option.
0: You're not going to be shocked to know that I agree with you. I do not think they should trade Dame Lord because he's one of the 11, 12 guys who matter in the entire league. I'm not getting anything back from him. there's two trades. We're going to say like, all right, I love this. Please, What are go. the two trades yeah. that could actually keep them competitive? In some way. The two are Philly and the Lakers. Philly gets bounced. Simmons, Maxi, and a bunch of picks. Basically what they were going to offer for Harden. I think they'd have to order offer more because Harden was a distressed asset. Dame for isn't. Lillard? Yeah. Okay. Simmons, Maxi, you tell me how many picks and you get Dame. And if I'm Philly, I'm like, I haven't beaten Dame. little right. cork moss sweetener in there? Maybe cork bots I'd probably hold out until the last minute. Really, really try to dangle him. So that's one. The other one is Davis straight up. I don't think that happens, but it's an interesting. Hmm. Wait, would you consider it? Was that, a, I mean, it is that a no? Think. No, it did make me wonder like which Davis is what? Three, four years younger than Dame. Is that a potentially
1: like who says no first and the answers both?
0: I think they both say no fast, but if you think think about it, say no, it's a trade that kind of makes sense. I don't think it'll happen. I think it's ridiculous, but it's like, all right, now if I'm Portland, I have Davis, CJ, all these other guys. I'm probably in the same spot I was in before, but I have Davis under this longer contract and Nike's right there whatever. And if I'm the Lakers, it's like <laughs> What is Nike being right there? I don't know. To do, do I'm just coming it up sounds with so good. Thank you.
1: <laughs> like Davis is just Thanks. sitting around. Like, what do you guys want to do today? Well, Nike. Nike's right there. Well,
0: let's go. Let's go get some free stuff at Nike. Yeah. And then if you're the Lakers, you could basically, you know, you're basically solving your issue with LeBron and Davis playing together as LeBron gets older and is just clearly a power forward now. And Dame, it'll never happen. And and ringer social team. Don't carve this out into a social media, media video. You <laughs> have where it's to like, tell your Simmons own wonders if, Simmons wonders if Dame David, I'm just saying, like, I think those are the only two trades that make sense because otherwise you're just looking at like RJ Barrett and a hundred picks. And I'm not doing that if I'm Portland, I'm get I need to get somebody really good back to even consider it. And I still don't want to do it. I'm keeping Dave. So that leads to poor CJ. Who's been in trade rumors for a hundred years. There's one way to avoid trading CJ. And that would be if you could talk to Celtics into to Covington and Smart being in some sort of trade together. But then that doesn't solve the, how do you play CJ, Smart, Dame at the same time. So I think with CJ, is Tobias on the table? That one was thrown around a little bit, right? Does that change my destiny if I have Tobias instead of CJ? I've appreciated Tobias This
1: regular season, I think he's been a steadying force. I think he's been a guy that's carried them in more games than maybe I would expect from him at times when they didn't have the other guys ready to go all the time. And look, we just realized that Simmons is going to have offensive nights where it's just not going to be that great. Um, Having said all that, I'm really fearful of a a playoff Tobias Harris correction that could be coming where it's like, oh, remember how like when people doubted this guy a little bit? Like it might be happening. I mean, he didn't do it. I, I don't know I don't even know what the box score was. If you told me he had four points today, I wouldn't be surprised. I I know well, it was more than that, but it just felt like he was was such a non factor that I even think with the frustration of hey, who is CJ? I think I like CJ better than him. Oh my God, Tobias Harris had twenty
0: points in this game today. It was a quiet twenty. Well, it's funny. Middleton God, was the Middleton was the other guy I was going to throw at you with. Uh, they could basically be like, if Tobias or Middleton sucks in round two. Could that be who you flip CJ for if you were trying to mix it up? My guess is they're not going to do anything. My guess is that they're just going to bring back a new coach and, you know, whatever. Um, There's another one I wanted to throw at you just for fun, just because I'm a Celtics fan and I've been making up fake Celtics trades. Smart, Pritchard, Thompson, and a first for CJ. It's a quick no, right? Smart. Pritchard, Thompson. Thompson's contract. Thompson's contract. you get him for a year. Another body and a first. That would be and great. Could, first, trying to
1: try to move Thompson's contract where it's actually something that is like a. It would just be so funny to be like, "Hey, you guys would have loved having him last year against Jokic." You never know; he could run into him again. Uses six fouls. He throws great parties. He was such a bad signing by Ainge. It, was, it tough. was a terrible signing. It, was one no, of the it wasn't reasons. tough. It was
0: awful. It, it was, was one of the many reasons Ainge quote unquote retired. Yeah. I couldn't really come up with a Boston. I, I think smart. I don't know what his value is in the league. Some people love him, but I don't think his value could add up to being the centerpiece of a CJ trade. I did come up with a CJ trade. I liked. And again, sorry, CJ. I really do like you. Okay. It involves the New York Knicks. Obi Toppin.
1: Ooh, super interested so far.
0: Was that sarcasm? Tons. Obi Toppin and both first rounders that the Knicks have. They have their own pick in Dallas. So they're in the mid teens for CJ. And here's why you do it. If no, you're no. Portland. If you're Portland, here's why you do it. It's
1: a terrible trade.
0: If you're Portland, here's you why you think about fired, it. Because you want to get fired because you went to the Washington job. If you're Portland, here's why you think about it. <laughs> you. You're saving 25 million bucks next year. So you're rebuilding a little bit. You'd have to really like Toppin, which I don't think they would enough to do the trade. So maybe it's quickly instead of Toppin with those picks. But basically like the Knicks can take on a huge salary, right? So they're a unique trade partner because they can, they can flip quickly for CJ and Portland shave $28 million off their salary cap. And then, has the flexibility to do something else. So I would watch the CJ Knicks thing. I have no inside information. I just think the Knicks have the ability to take a big contract like that and give up a couple assets and allow a team to potentially use that giant trade exception and then do something else, which is, as you've pointed out many times, sometimes the trade exception does not pay off. 75% um,
1: of the time, it doesn't lead to anything. Like
0: 70, I was going to say like 78%.
1: I got to update it. Could be right. Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven percent. Right. I'm still shook that Tobias Harris had twenty points today. I, I'm I can't believe that.
0: So yeah, that he thing, shot it I well, mean, too. But the the CJ, I mean, there's. I was looking at in Indiana. I was like, oh, Indiana. Like Sabonis, is, I think has just more value than CJ does. But then, why would you take Brogdon back? And because I I just feel like Indiana's. Trade if I could get, wait
1: a minute, now you got me excited. If I could get Sabonis in some version of this, but.
0: I don't know. We'd that Pacers team CJ, should be good enough
1: to make the playoffs in the East.
0: CJ and Nurkic, I'd I'd rather keep Sabonis. I think Sabonis is so rare. I'd rather have that Sabonis. team. Yeah. I'd rather have Sabonis. So anyway, I'm at CJ I'm at fake CJ trades. I love CJ. I, I hope they don't trade him. I like the Dame CJ. Hasn't back he, he, CJ he re- was hurt, by the way. So that, that's got to factor in didn't he actually call you out and say that fucking guy's he been trying to trade me. me for years? Well, he came on my podcast so he, he made fun of me about it. I actually <laughs> think the smarter move would be Covington. Who's it would be funny if he got traded again. Yeah. Well, they
1: desperately needed to address the small forward situation defensively. And that's why they, they paid what they paid for Covington. And, you know, maybe it, a little better than people want to give it credit for. I think people want to trash it. I mean, it's kind of funny, like when you look at some of the Portland transactions and you go, well, you know, none of that stuff worked out. Those guys should have done a better job, which I think you've leaned towards a little bit more. I would look at the West and go, okay, well, who are they supposed to be? Like, what were they really supposed to do? You know, if people picked them in the first round, fine, against Denver, I can see it. I didn't. Um, if they'd won that series, you know, I, I, I don't sit here being like, I'm so smart, I knew everything. I, I thought it was close. I just liked Denver's size a little bit better and I thought they had the better player, uh, which is crazy because Lillard you know, had one of those performances that we're never going to forget where we were for it in game five. But okay, fine. They get through that. Then what happens? Like, you think you're winning the West? Do you think that team's winning the West? So my expectations of them are always a little, little tempered. And it's kind of funny, like the Portland ending is disappointing. So then we kind of retroactively go back and look at some of the transactions to start giving them all worse grades. We were doing the exact same thing to the Atlanta Hawks when they had a terrible record the first half of the season. And then it's like, wait, you know, I don't love Danilo. I don't love that money, but I get it, even if they don't even need him all the time. The Bogdanovich thing looks like the heist of, of the decade. Um, and even with Rondo, which I didn't like those numbers, they turned it into something else. And now you watch Atlanta and you go, hey, the same the same guys are out there for the most part. And when they had a bad record, everybody was making fun of Travis Schlenk saying that the guy's going to get fired. And now you're going, what a great job they did putting this roster together. So... I know the wins and losses are what we keep track of, but I think we can change our, our criticisms pretty quickly even though the, the transactions are the same.
0: The Bogdanovich thing was great. Gallo signing was a little rough. Rondo signing was bad. Chris Dunn bad. signing was bad.
1: Chris Dunn but signing, The
0: Bogdanovich yeah. signing was so good, it made up for all the other bad signings. And then Herter was a great draft pick. Capella in the trade. The I mean, Capella trade was excellent.
1: Right. Um, Did you say Hunter was a good draft pick? Is that what you just said? Herter. Or Herter. Hunter, Hunter,
0: Hunter, they nailed both of those. They didn't panic trade John Collins last year, which was really smart.
1: So I still don't think he fits in with them. That's going to be so funny. Like Collins is going to be part of this team. He's going to have a couple like 23 and 12 games and people are going to talk him up. And it just never seems to fit in the flow of what they're doing. And the scary thing is it doesn't really matter. Right. Are you, are you with me on that?
0: I like that. He's not scared in these games. Yeah. I do think they have a lot of dudes out there who are just like, I belong here. I'm really good. He had a big three. They trapped Trey. to He had to make to Oop to close it. I have to ask one more Portland thing. Pretend you, you're Dame's best friend and I'm Dame. How do we meet? We've known each other since we were kids.
1: Have we ever dated the same girl?
0: No, we never would do that. We're so close.
1: Do I owe you any money?
0: No. Never.
1: Okay. All right. It's good.
0: Now, I, now I get it. You've used my recording studio many times. We're really tight. And I ask you, what should I do? What should I, Dame Lillard, do right now? Because I just made a list of all the players in the other team, and I'm trying to figure out a path that I could win the NBA title. And I'm not going to do it unless I have, you know, an all-NBA teammate and there's no roadmap for me. What should I do? I would I would ask him like, look, are you happy being the
1: number you can be disappointed, but are you still happy being the man in this market? Because first of all, like him being in a bigger market, I don't know how much bigger it's going to get for him. The guy's crushed it off the court. He's crushed it. And we've learned a lot over the years that you don't have to be in New York. You don't have to be in LA. I'm not saying it's negative, but it um I would just ask him a really simple question like, is your frustration going to be greater? then your joy of knowing that this is still your organization because you may win somewhere else, but what role are you willing to play? And do you want to go somewhere else and be the focal point of a team that maybe is even worse? That's why the Knicks thing never made a time, unless these guys all team up together and a bunch of guys forced way. But that's what I would add. As frustrated as you are now, are you going to be happier being somewhere else, not being the guy you are here? Because he's really special to that organization and they know it.
0: I I would say that I think that's a good one. I'm no longer Dame Lord. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the second friend talking to Dame Lord. I would also point. Where did you guys that, meet? I'm just um, kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. We met in Portland actually. We his rookie year. So you're newer. Um, I would point to the Hawks, and I would say, "Hey, look at the Hawks. They they have a chance to like make the conference finals," and. They're built around one really good point guard. They do not have another all NBA player and they just have a lot of offense. And if your GM made a mistake this year, it was not realizing he should surround you with more offense, that this is where the league is going. And we still have time to do that. You're only 31. Look how awesome Curry was at age 33. We keep McCollum and let's go get more offense. Let's just get shooting. Let's just outscore everybody else in the West. That's how we're going to win the West. It's not going to be like, oh, Derek Jones is, so good at switching on d and oh Covington it's like we need guys who can fucking score let's let's go for let's try to be Atlanta in the west let's go, and I would get him fired up with that.
1: You have the bad defense part down
0: <laughs> yeah you you already you've crushed that the other team's gonna score it's gonna happen um all right I think we did so our so our verdict is keep so you keep c j Because I'm actually of the Keep CJ. I'm in Keep CJ camp, even though I just made up 10 trades for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's pretty amazing. I do like topping. I'd have to. Yeah, but I think topping and two picks. Do you think Lillard's going to be psyched about that instead of CJ? No, but it's
0: topping two picks, but then I get the trade exception that I try to get somebody else. Cool. Waiting around (laughs) on that one. (laughs) Kevin Love? Can Kevin Love fit in a trade exception? I, you know, look, if, you, oh, if you throw me something... Kevin Love can fit in a trade exception. Cleveland still wants something for Kevin Love. His contract went backwards next year. Now they don't. They're fine. All right. Um, Nate McMillan running out of timeouts and not knowing how to break a press. We decided not to talk about that today.
1: That was interesting. Fouling up eight with less than a minute to go.
0: Julio Jones, who people are treating like he's the Julio Jones from seven years ago. I didn't see that last year, but maybe maybe I'm a cynical dick, but like is he at at the age he's at is he gonna be that much of a difference maker for the Titans on paper? It looks great. I think he is um okay, so you think he still has
1: it, I think he's still a guy you trade a second rounder for I yeah, mean the n f l market on the trade stuff is always. It's always amazing to me how often, like, you go, "Wait, that's all it takes." And remember that one year, like Belichick just started trading all of his picks for guys that were established. Yeah, I think there may have been a Kawan short transaction in there, but I'm not 100 sure. Um, so, I'm 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 with you in that it's it's diminishing a bit here. But if you're Tennessee, actually, their defense was more of an issue last year than it was their offense. Um, if you've upgraded Corey Davis into into Julio Jones and it's a second rounder, I'm cool with that.
0: I liked it too. I think the, the salary cap piece, I think, was tough. I think that's what scared off the Patriots because Belichick loves having that flexibility. I think what scared
1: reason. off the Patriots is they never do that stuff unless right. it's free. Unless it's free. Like Revis. Yeah, uh,
0: you, know, you guys. Uh, do it. Revis can't rounder. make more than Tom.
1: We'll do a fifth rounder if we win the Super Bowl in 2029.
0: Can I do a parent corner before we go?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: My daughter went to a party last night. What kind of party? It was a high school party. She turned 16. It was the first one she really went to with her friends. And um, my wife drove her to the party. So this is a new thing. I'm trying to figure this out. Thing. She's
1: 16, so she's never been to parties before. Thing.
0: She she Ubered home. And then um, when she came in, it was definitely... Definitely kind of reading and checking her out to make sure everything seemed okay, which it did.
1: Is that because, like, you th- watch Euphoria on HBO? <laughs> yeah,
0: I was definitely, I was like, you didn't to go to a Euphoria party, right? <laughs> like, who's the girl, in Zendaya? Um, yeah, you know, but you know, it, it was. I get it. Look, this is your oldest. This is your first
1: time. This is a new, new territory. Like, all the times that I came home thinking I was getting away with something, knowing I wasn't, although I was a really, really well behaved kid. Until I came back for, like, summer break. Then I was then it was on. But go ahead.
0: Well, the thing is, you know your kids so well that if anything's off, you know right away, right? So yeah. it's, it's a tough crowd for her with I'd imagine. me and my wife just studying. It's like, you know, Kawhi, Kawhi knowing all of Luca's moves after seven games. Especially your wife, too. Like, just thinking yeah.
1: about her right now, like, she's not falling for anything.
0: Well, because, yeah, she, she knows all the tricks. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know... <laughs> It it just was interesting because we we were home last night. We watched Bo Burnham's Netflix special, waiting to hear from my daughter, who had, you know, a 1215 curfew. And we're just watching... Bo Burnham's special was really, really creative, by the way. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure I'd watch it twice, but I really respected it. It was just really different and interesting. So we're watching it, and then there comes a point where. You start wondering at around 1130, like, are they going to do the thing where they pretend their phone died that they love, you know, and then they just go off the map for two hours because you think of all the things you would have done in the situation, but she hit all the check marks and seemed pretty responsible. But it was my first stressed out Saturday night with my daughter at a party.
1: Where did she cut it on the 1215 curfew? What time did she roll in?
0: Cut it even early, a little early. Yeah, huh. she... We, it was, you can stay at the party till 1215, but she was in the Uber by 1215. So that was good.
1: Did she come back with like a girlfriend and then they recap it all night and talk no, about who was cute? But there was a
0: lot of like Snapchatting after where she's Snapchatting with her friends, like the Snapchat world. It's like Morse code for 2021 where it's like, we don't know what's going on and the things disappear immediately. And it's this whole secret society of how they communicate with each other. And if we can't infiltrate it. You can't get in. Once you can't get in the stuff, and it's just the, it's why they're all in there because they can all do it and infl- and and we can't crack it. Instagram, I can crack. I can look at her texts. Snapchat, it's like it's just gone. So like Cumberpatch,
1: you're just not you're not him working on working on <laughs> Cumber, the puzzles downstairs.
0: Cumberpatch, no. <laughs> Cumber Patch.
1: no not like cover patch you show up to your office with an umbrella and a trench coat you sit down at this device you're like honey i'm close i'm close i think z
0: means h i found a photo in her hard drive yeah so she she gets her driver's license. what's that mean she gets her driver's license in august so obviously won't be letting her drive to parties unless she's the designated driver but There's an autonomy that's coming that I'm definitely fearful of. You should just be like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go drive around or I'm going to go to my friend's house and that's it. They're just gone. And then you just have to cross your fingers and hope it's. I I know we talked about
1: this before, but you know, whenever I met a kid who grew up in New York city, like grew up in New York city, right. That when they got to college, they were 30, you know, like socially. I'm like, how, what, how do you know that? Like, how are you wired this way? You know? And you talk to these kids from these more densely populated areas and they get to college. Like the first bar I ever got into, I was a freshman in college. It's the first time I've ever got into one. And then these kids in the city, be like, what? They're like, Oh, my junior prom, we rented out the W and you know, the meatpacking <laughs> right. district. And then we were out till like, and I'm like, what? And be like, yeah, I was 15 though. A senior asked me. And I'm just like, this is nuts to me. It blows yeah. my mind. Like you were in a bar. Bo- is there any element of knowing? you know, you like me are from new England where like how quick do kids in LA grow up or is it still somewhat sheltered in the school system? Like, I don't, I don't know what that would be like, obviously as a non-parent, but you know, I know where you live and that kind of thing, but also a couple blocks this way or that way, it feels like a real city. So what what is that like?
0: Um, I don't think, I think from a party standpoint, they can get a little ambitious sometimes. The parts that I don't understand is you have all these Ubers showing up to these houses, right? Because in LA, you get to drive everywhere. So how much fun, how much unfun would it be for the parents where the party's at their house? I mean, unless they're not there and they have no idea it's happening, but-
1: Which is gonna be the, half the time, if not the more.
0: The drop-off standpoint, or the drop-off piece of it, just it's so so different than if you're in New York City, you're just taking cabs everywhere, right? Um, I think the parties are a little more elaborate, probably in LA. You know, I think in, in, I don't know, like Kyle, Kyle, how many like elaborate parties did you go to in high school? What's elaborate? Like you go into somebody's house and there's like a theme. Oh, theme. Oh. It's like the white party. This was like undercover. I didn't get invited to those. I was at undercover parties and like, oh shit, you broke my
1: fence. My mom's going to kill me. Like that's the parties I went to.
0: Yeah. I could
1: see Kyle, though, like renting out a VFW or the Portuguese American Club or something and charging people (laughs) five bucks a head at like 16. Yeah. Like, no, this is my party. Be like, what do you mean it's your party? Be like, it's my party. I rented it out. Five bucks. Red cup. Here you go. Our party's in high school. I mean, Martha's Vineyard, you want to talk about being sheltered. I mean, we would, we, there'd be parties in the woods. They'd always get broken up one. I remember one time a guy built the a woods. huge bonfire. Yeah. I mean, it would just be different sections the, the, the of the woods, the woods. It's
0: like, yeah, it's like, there's nothing good can happen in the woods.
1: No. Cause older guys who graduated high school would show up and beat us up because they were miserable. They were still there. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the cops would always break them up because it was pretty hard to keep anything a secret in the vineyard, especially if there's a bonfire by a lighthouse in January in the middle of the winter. But I remember one time a guy loaded up this huge bonfire and then he filled it full of poison ivy. And so everybody that was on that side of the fire where the smoke was blowing off the wind, they got poison ivy like all over their faces in school and stuff. Um, but it was very sheltered. I mean, it was always kind of safe and you could always hitchhike on the vineyard too in case you get stuck and you needed a ride. I mean, you know, look, kids are going to do stuff that... You look back on you go hey could have made some better decisions but i guess the the la part of it like i would just feel weird if your daughter came home with machine gun kelly and he's like look i you know i live in la it's weird <laughs> you know and you know stop judging dad he's a huge fan of the podcast he loves basketball like he's different dad uh, that that would be illegal because she's only 16 oh right okay well a younger version of, of whatever that is i just i don't know how fast kids i'm not trying to freak you out here my man i'm just saying like i don't I don't know how kids grow up in LA because I know that the New York City kids, I they always they always intimidated the hell out of me just their worldliness and how advanced they were and all of this stuff. They'd show up to campus already wired.
0: They'd be like, "Oh, college is a little slow." <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. The New York City kids. That's like Gossip Girl, which is like Euphoria, where it was like a basically a, a glimpse of the world, but on steroids. Gossip Girl would have these elaborate the first season, like these elaborate parties with like 17-year-olds. And it's like there's a glimmer of realness in this. You know. You know what, you know what I did recently?
1: And this is this is a whole nother um a whole nother other deal.
0: Is this a pandemic thing?
1: No, no. But that that movie Kids. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. A, I'm not sure I'm not trying to ruin once. it once. Right, right. <laughs> but i had never gone into the the harmony Corinne rabbit hole with letterman so harmony corrin wrote this movie uh, as a teenager yeah now he clearly got hooked up with somebody in the movie industry but he wrote this script and then they turned it into this horrifying movie for anyone that's ever been. i'm i'm turning parent corner into a horror movie story here um it's, it's, but it's made in 1995 it's, it's completely like it's super graphic it's off the rails intense and you like, like euphoria. you said yeah, right. it's like it's euphoria in the euphoria camp. In 1995. But this, this kid who then went on to make some other films, he made Gummo. Have you ever seen his run on Letterman? And then ultimately he ends up being banned from Letterman forever. And James Franco talks with Letterman about, he's like, well, Harmony's a friend. He's like, the story is that you banned him for life. And Letterman's like, yeah. So there's this YouTube of every one of the kids' appearances. He has three appearances and he goes on with Letterman. And he, the last one, he's clearly completely fucked up but he just messes with Letterman the whole time. And it's 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 actually incredible to see somebody sit there and like hang with Letterman going at it. Yeah. Have you never seen this? I, I'll I send you the link.
0: I'll, I'll watch it tonight. That's why Grodin was so great on Carson. When Grodin died, RIP to one of the greats, they were showing like, somebody had a list of like his 13 best Carson appearances cause he would go and just fuck with Carson. And I think Carson liked it. Because Groden could do it
1: in a way where you didn't think he was doing it. And that's probably what Carson respected
0: out of it. Or maybe he just liked him when he didn't like a lot of people. So I don't know. Go ahead. I remember when Cher went on Letterman in the mid eighties and it's always interesting when they try to flip it on the host like that. Sometimes it goes badly and you never see them again. Other times it's good. So Harmony was done after three.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell the story here. Um, unless you want to keep it as a spoiler alert to watch the arc of, of the link that I'll send
0: you. Yeah, just gave What was the finale?
1: So Franco, somehow Harmony comes up. And Letterman, he I think he says it in the third appearance when he's looking at Harmony, just kind of lose it. And, you know, it's a little sad because he's young. He clearly was using some stuff. And Letterman looks at the camera. He goes, that's why they make them childproof bottles, folks. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he says it. Okay. Because Harmony's like really, yeah, freaking a bit, but he's out there and he's on Letterman. And so Franco goes, He's a friend. He told me you banned him for life. And Letterman's like, Yes, I did. I banned him. And he's like, What's the story? And he goes, Well, what's the story you heard? So Franco's like, I heard he may have pushed Meryl Streep. And the whole crowd's like, Oh my. God, like of all the people you could push <laughs> right, in the Hollywood seriously. industry, like it would be the, the lowest approval rating of anyone ever being pushed. It would be pushing Meryl Streep. And Letterman's like, no, that's not what happened, but you're close. And Letterman says, I've never told this story before, but he goes, I went into the dressing room because I was like, what's going on? And, and Harmony was in there going through Meryl Streep's purse.
0: <laughs> oh my God.
1: And he goes, he was supposed to come on and I kicked him out. And that was it. He goes, he kicked him out of the studio. I think he got in a cab and that was it.
0: Why are Franco and Letterman tell, is this like on a podcast? What was this on?
1: It's on an appearance. So
0: I don't, oh, wow. I ended up in
1: some wormhole This is great. on YouTube where, and I think you probably do some of this too. Like I'll look I for do. old Carson stuff. I'll look for I do. old Leonard interviews. You know what I did is I did it when you guys did the big Chevy Chase thing. Uh, yeah. you did the Fletch rewatchable and you yeah. and Chris it was was it with Chris Ryan? Chris was on that one, right? Yeah,
0: I think so. And you guys started doing
1: this Chevy Chase part of it. And it was really good discussion because you you were so locked into this stuff at a very early age that you have like this almost historic if you were less successful you'd be awesome on those kind of VH1 things where you're yeah. like oh, what would I get 1500 bucks for this to say wow. Right. Um and and give historical perspective on it. And so you were talking about Chevy. So I then started going back and watching those Chevy Chase interviews. And the one with Dick Cavett, I think there's one. And it's, it's like Chevy's just kind of like he'd have this attitude where if you didn't bring it the right way, he was going to let you have it. And sometimes yeah. it was justified and other times it wasn't. So anyway, then I ended up on this Letterman thing. And then I started thinking about that. I never really knew much about the kid that had wrote kids, even though I knew about it back then when I was in college. And then I watched all of the interviews. Somebody edited them all together. And it's kind of one of those deals. You're like, I'm not going to watch this. It's 20 minutes. And then 20 minutes later, you're like, I didn't move. So I'll send you the link.
0: You've done the, you've done the deep dive on Norm MacDonald's like, greatest talk show appearances, right? All the time. That's a great one. Right. The Courtney, the Courtney Thorne Smith one is the funniest one of all time. Because he also
1: has the one that's completely uncomfortable, especially with the timing of today, where he has the other comedians come on and read his bad jokes. Have you seen that mashup?
0: Yeah, that's tough. It's, it's, it's definitely riveting.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's some winners in there, but you could also see why. Right. People are like, no, that's actually not cool anymore. Where, you know, five years ago, he probably would get away with some of
0: these jokes. Yeah. Norm's a good deep dive. I, I saw, I told you about when I saw Siskel and Ebert with Chevy Chase on a Carson episode where Chevy was on the couch. And then that Carson asked, what was your most disappointing moment, movie of Christmas? And he said it was three, <laughs> Ebert said it was three amigos and Chevy was right there. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it, and it was six. It's got, somebody's got to put it on YouTube. It's great. No, I've seen it. I've seen that one.
1: You know what? Going back to the Norm one, you remember when he tears up when he's talking about Letterman? Yeah. And he tells that story about like the family falling behind the dump truck or something. And it's like a really simple joke. You know what I really enjoy is I enjoy great comedians when they have this very human appreciation for other comedians because it's so hard to do and it's going to be a pretty cool club to be in when you're a comedian that everybody else kind of loves and it's not like Letterman's necessarily a comedian but for norm to he was starting to cry because that's what Letterman meant to him it was uh it was a rare and cool moment so i I love some of that norm stuff
0: you know it's a good one is the old Eddie Murphy from 82 to 85, when he goes on Carson and Letterman and uh, and both of them are just, their go-to thing is what are you going to do with all this money? Are you, what are you doing? Like, it's like, there's this weird element to it that you can tell Eddie by like the fourth time. It's like, what the fuck with these guys? Like, like making it seem like I'm not going to be able to handle that. I'm making a million dollars a year, but they always go to it. It's just to say, I mean, like that, like they're almost worried about him. And you could tell he's kind of pissed off about it by like 1986 because it's like yeah, other
1: things. Right. Because, I mean, the Eddie Murphy part from the oral history of SNL book that you recommended to me that was incredible, which was also something you brought up in the Chevy Chase Fletch Rewatchable. Yeah. But Eddie Murphy showed onto the scene like the equivalent of LeBron James Saturday Night Live, but wasn't, they weren't putting him in to start and he wasn't getting any shots. And it yeah. would be LeBron James being like, are you guys serious? Like, this is what you want to do? And they just looked at Eddie being like, hey, it's great that you're funny and you're 18 and you've already done stand-up, but like, you got to wait your turn. And he's like, nope. And then, I don't know, I think it's by the end of that first season, I don't remember every episode in, in sequence, but he was just such a powerful force and he was that funny. And he basically saved the show post-Chevy.
0: Yeah, it started on Weekend Update. You can watch him there on Peacock. And he hit on one of them. And then they just started bringing him back and every week he would come on Weekend Update. And then within five, they were like, oh Jesus. And that was it. Yeah,
1: like what are we doing here? We're yeah. we gonna get this guy more shots. And yeah. then he knew he was a deal, but he's so young. He's so young. Cause he originally like, he wasn't original cast, but he was like the Saturday Night Live players or whatever they call it. He was
0: 19. It.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think people, I just, it'll never happen again. Nobody, no 19 year old will ever go on a show like that and dominate it. All right, we took way too long. Um, Rusillo, fun two parter as always. By the next time we're on this, um, I don't know if there'll be another two parter on Sunday night. We'll see. We'll see if there's enough to talk about, but um, we'll know more about Hawks Sixers. We'll know if Milwaukee ever fixed their whole thing. We'll have some idea in the West and maybe some trade stuff too. Uh, you have two podcasts coming this week as well.
1: Yeah, Luke Wilson, talking Bottle Rocket. He's got a new movie as well, 12 Mighty Orphans. Um, Had it scheduled for 30. We got a solid 18. We got a solid 18 minutes. Oh. He was great. He was great. Yeah, he was great. Press Junket's tough. Press Junket was tough. And then uh, we got a couple other surprises up my sleeve. Maybe even a writer's life advice from a real writer. who's 20-something years in the business. Credited.
0: Okay. All right. Good to see you. See you next Sunday. All right. That's it for part two. If you missed part one, don't forget to check it out on, uh, on the archives. Um, I'll be back on this feed on Tuesday and see you then.